There is no single pathway to entrepreneurial success. Most of the entrepreneurs I've interviewed on this podcast have gone through unique ways to reach their goals, but there are similar milestones along the journey. There are common questions every entrepreneur should address as they build their business. How do I find an idea I should pursue? How do I validate the idea? How do I build the product? How do I launch it? How do I find and reach customers? How do I grow revenue and scale? How do I build community? Unity around my product? How do I build a team that we execute? How do I raise money? These are the fundamental questions every entrepreneur should be asking. The Hustle Bootcamp program will help you tackle these questions. The Hustle Bootcamp is an intensive five-week online program for high-performing individuals who want to build profitable, scalable, and fundable business in Africa. This is not your average online course. It is a coaching program. Everything in the course is designed designed towards enabling you to launch your new business or innovate an existing one. We are prioritizing transformation over information. There are five models in the program and they will be delivered over video along with worksheets, action plans, and step-by-step guides. But more importantly, every week during the program, I'll be hosting live office hours Q&A where we'll be breaking down key aspects of the course. And I'll have some of the guests from this podcast in the live Q&A. If you really want to build scale or get funding for your own business this is the program for you registration is now open and we'll be closing it very soon we have very limited seats go to the bootcamp.com that is t-h-e-h-u-s-t-l-e bootcamp.com the bootcamp.com and register now the next african story will be written by africans meet the people using technology innovation and entrepreneurship to craft this new narrative. This is Building the Future Podcast with your host, Dalton, coming up today on Building the Future. Uh, I, did, I didn't have any money. I worked over the summer. I made, I think, 2,000 pounds. I gave it to Jason. So that was pretty much This it. was, I guess, the first time I bet on him and uh, it, it, it went bankrupt. So. <laughs> <laughs> he was my friend. I invested in him. I believed that he could make something out of it. It was like a personal journey for Jason to make this a success and he was not going to stop at anything to, to make it a success and that's partially backable. A company without a father is like a company without a heart. Yeah, like it, it just doesn't work. Building the Future Podcast Season 3 is brought to you in partnership with Flutterwave. Flutterwave's business is about connecting global businesses to Africa and building new businesses out of Africa through payment and technology. All opinions expressed by me and the podcast guests are solely ours and does not reflect the opinion of Flutterwave. To get started, go to flutterwave.com. My guest today is Bastian Gorta. Bastian is the co-founder of Iroko TV, one of the earliest, most successful and largest video on-demand platform for Nigerian movies. Bastian founded the business alongside with his university flatmate, Jason Njoku, who is the CEO of the company and a later guest in this show. This is not Bastian's and Jason's first project together. In mid-2010, Bastian invested in several businesses that Jason was running in Manchester, England, many of which failed. But they struck together as partners and Bastian invested in Iroko TV after Jason started it. And he then moved to Lagos 
and joined as a full-time co-founder. This episode is the first of two-part conversation I had with Bastian in Cape Town, South Africa, as part of the mini-series on African video on-demand platform. In this conversation, Bastian explained the shift in African entertainment content distribution via VHS and VCD to smartphones and computers over the internet and its investment thesis for backing it as a business. But more importantly, his confidence in Jason as an entrepreneur that he was willing to bet his money and career to support in this venture. Sebastian, welcome to Build in the Future. Welcome. Nice to meet you again. So I've heard a lot about it, man. Uh, you are one of the key investors and co-founder of Europe, which there's no way we can talk about the story here an ecosystem or even African ecosystems to grow businesses without talking about Jason Place. Let's start from there. Okay. I want to go back again, but let's start from there. How did that start? How did you get involved in it was a pretty organic sort of scenario. Um, I went to university in Manchester and uh, Jason and I lived together for three years at the University of Manchester. Um, we both had sort of a, a business mind, I guess, found each other and uh, talked business all day long. Were you roommates or kind of flatmates? We, no, we were not. Like, I mean, we were flatmates after the first year, which we met at a, I think it was a student organization called ISEC that organizes internships with people abroad. And he was there and I was there and we were just talking business and generally had a good relationship. Subsequently, we moved into a house together and lived in that house for two to three years and um, sort of established a relationship that was based around the concept of business. And that's what we talked about all day long. And uh, what is that? Just general business? Just general on business we would watch things like uh, dragon's den or the apprentice or, or kitchen nightmares or whatever these uk television shows were and they usually had a business angle and then we discuss it and it'd be, there was a lot of interest in business and then uh we had an events management company um you started and, event yeah yeah we, we had like student events in manchester and jason was the key driving force in that and i helped out and i think i put some money in or was that no we, i don't think i put money into that business but then jason started a student magazine called brash and uh, i invested in that and that you know and that you were one. both students we're both students so yeah. you and jason so let me just get in yeah, something's yeah. right you and jason have common interest in business mm-hmm. you're both students and he wants to start something and you put money in partner so you've been having that kind of relationship for a long time for a long time yeah, yeah where did you get your money from to be invested uh I, did, I didn't have any money i worked over the summer and i had an internship with hsbc and i, I made i think two thousand pounds and I, I gave it to jason so that was pretty much it and that's um, massive you yeah. you are one of the speak top investor that's all your money and then you're putting it you're betting it on this guy and yeah i mean this was i guess the first time i bet on him and uh it, it, it went bankrupt so. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, i mean to a degree like uh, jason was always entrepreneurial always wanted to follow that path and it was fascinating and he kind of led me into that direction I, I was interested in business and after university i wanted to go and start my own business but i didn't have the full conviction and my parents were, were sort of no you're not doing this and at that time i was still financially dependent on them in terms of like just you know your student money and whatever so um, I went to London and I traded oil for for six years in London so I became a derivatives trader and this was you know the boom years of finance in London and uh, which year was this this was 2006 so uh, finance was in full swing there was no 2008 crash no 2009 sort of like total deflation of every asset value in the world and and so it was it was super bullish and I was trading oil. I was making good money it was a fun time I, I don't regret not having gone into an entrepreneurship earlier but going through London and sort of establishing some form of professional career um, and then in 2010 just to close this Euroco story off a little bit or, or the beginning of it off 
is um, Jason had gone bankrupt with a magazine, which he tried everything with. And then he had some like blog network for lawyers and that didn't work out either. And then at some point he said to me, look, like Bastion, I'm going back to Nigeria. And um, I think there's something happened to Tayman Space. Like he brought back these like DVDs or VCDs from Nigeria in a suitcase and he started selling them online. So let's and, pause there before yeah. we get to that Nigeria. Yeah, yeah. So you and Jason uh, graduated around the same time. Yes. You went into oil and he was still doing his entrepreneurship. That's it. The student uh, magazine had gone down yeah. and your first investment just went off. There, yeah. There's a big lesson there because a lot of investors that try to yeah. put money into something and then the first one, it didn't work out well and then they just left. Mm. Yes, well, this thing mm. is working mm. out. Mm. Yeah. You are an example of somebody who is betting on a person yeah. and, and a repeat founder, which is one of the key difference between the American investors. Every day, so mm. they bet on the person can be a repeat founder of, of success. Yeah. So you went on to make money and then Jason said, I still want to do this. And mm-hmm. he went, talk me through that time when you were doing hope and Jason Ryan, were you still keeping in touch and trying to do it? Yeah, absolutely. Like Jason was still in Manchester at the beginning. We had less contact. Then he moved to London. He lived somewhere. Where, where was that? Uh, oh, somewhere in East London. It's now very fashionable, but he lived in this house with like boarded up windows and like an electricity meter where you need to put a pound in to get electricity out, right? So he couldn't get a mobile phone contract. But we were friends, right? Like um, because he'd been through so many small courts claims and whatever because brash went bust oh like, it was real bankruptcy uh, proper bankruptcy yeah so uh jason was sort of like shit like what do i do next but in and the he end, was quite he's, young but yes young yeah, young very optimistic always bullish right and i think most people had sort of turned their back by now on jason as an entrepreneur but we've always been friends and and i guess i'm quite loyal in in that sense to to a friend and i said you know what i think there's something there he's trying something that maybe I didn't dare to try let me at least you know like fund it and, and sort of experience it that way and and that's yeah I guess it was he was my friend I invested in him I believe that he could make something out of it uh, and I invested in him for a second time not in any Silicon Valley mindset I'd never read really a book about early stage investing or venture capital or anything like that and neither had Jason right like we didn't understand any of that stuff at that point it was more of like okay I provide the money you do the work that was a deal, 50-50. And, um, and this is the Iroquois thing? So he this came is back when from the, Nigeria? So he came back. Uh, this mm. DVD, we can put it on YouTube. And there's no, something it, was, it was completely different. And we okay. had these DVDs and then we started selling DVDs, like physical DVDs. Oh, yeah, via, shipping DVDs from Nigeria and, and selling then, it in, in the UK. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, it made no sense, right? But we had some orders and then there was this thing called Blip TV and you could sort of upload a movie and, and all of a sudden there was ad revenue against that and I was like whoa this is crazy you know at the very beginning it was like we, we didn't really know what we we're doing so let's talk about the initial business model ship DVD from Nigeria ship DVD sell sell it physically and make some margin make some margin and that sounds completely stupid right if, if somebody showed me that pitch today I, I'd laugh at it right but back then it was just more of a concept of like okay this Nollywood thing was there. It was apparently humongous. Um, and nobody had figured out how to distribute it. And obviously in the end now, in hindsight, it becomes very clear that the online distribution channel was probably, you know, one of the most, most significant shift in distribution of media, full stop. Um, but we started with DVD and we thought, okay, what else can we do? Okay. Now YouTube in 2010. Um, no, yeah, this was 2010. I had changed their policy where all of a sudden, you know, you could upload a video and make money against it via advertisement. So, Came up so I, I came up with that conceptually um, because uh, I, a friend of my dad worked with YouTube Germany 
and he did an intro and we sort of said hey we're a partner we have got some content licenses and we want to put it up on your site we'd previously put it up on blip tv but they shut us down and it was all a bit dodgy um i don't remember blip tv it's, it's little bought by test dad right? yes yeah. yes so but they had an ad-based model and we'd put some movies up and we saw the traction it's like whoa there's traffic here yeah like and then we went onto youtube and everybody had like nigerian movies cut into 15 parts you know like because youtube had a time limit of 15 minutes so subsequently you, you had like you know 15 part movies where the last part still had half a million views so it was like whoa people are watching this you know and they're watching each clip and they're watching it to the end and so the demand was there and we said okay youtube is not changing its policy let's get in there i i was very lucky to have this contact with youtube germany they wrote a contract to us uh, saying yes you can be a partner so uh, we started off being a youtube partner in germany and then we said okay well now we have a legal way to making money from a digital license let's go buy some well, yeah? okay so um, initially you didn't worry about a digital line from the producer you yeah. just bought it yeah. uploaded it because you have arrangement we on youtube we never did that on on blip tv we did one test like uh, with an affiliated producer right. and said like can we upload this and he said yeah okay no problem i don't think he really understood what we were doing we just asked for permission he allowed us to do it and subsequently we saw the demand for the streaming piece and then we saw how big it was on youtube and then we got the commercial contract and then we said hey now we need to do a proper we need to go buy the licenses at yeah. that point were mm -hmm. you still working in oil i was still working in oil. Yeah. so you were just part-time i was every weekend jason and i would spend three to four hours on the phone talking about what the business was doing he was in lagos he was in lagos or in london he was between the two and um we were just spending three to four hours on the phone every time he needed money we'll go to the cash machine i'll take it out i give it to him in cash uh, i have no idea how much money i actually put in okay uh, so it wasn't like okay i need a hundred thousand dollars no you just we have 50 50 partnership here yeah. just like a normal business um oh there's not no, no, no traditional business but i bring in the money you do the work yeah. 50 50 whenever yeah. there's money viable you just run the business that's what you that's what it was there was no contract there was no proper incorporation there was no vesting period there, there was nothing yeah, like it was literally absolutely nothing. It was just two guys. I put the money, you do the work. If you need more money, I go to the cash machine. So, um, and that kind of continued. And at some point it, it became pretty big, right? I put like maybe $40,000, $50,000 into it. And then we got this YouTube Germany contract and they was like, okay, let's buy a thousand licenses. Yeah. And all of a sudden I put another $100,000 in it. So you and had a saving somewhere or you had it, to go and get the money somewhere. I, I spent everything I had on this and then I collected my bonus and then I spent that on so um, what, was, yeah. what, was, mm. what was driving this apart from loyalty to a friend and yeah. believe that yeah. I do something yeah. what was the major driver for you to be doing no it's like I love business I love investing in business I felt I was in a stage in my life where I got to take the big bets like I was young I had no commitments I knew I had an opportunity to create wealth for myself for the next 40 years like if I don't take the like the wild long shots now I think the older you get the less likely you're going to take them there's still people that do um but i felt that i was at that stage it was all or nothing there was it was total roulette either you play for it or you don't this was the gamble yeah and i knew i was making money on a trade floor i was advancing pretty quickly i was collecting bonuses from there and and i thought you know what even if i have zero in my bank account today i know next year i'll be full again but what i have today let me put it into this business and i think it, it came up i 
you know what? Neither Jason or I actually know how much money it was. It was somewhere between 150 to 200 thousand dollars that I gave him over time uh, to buy licenses and put into this business. So I guess that that was the the early stage of Eurocall and I YouTube. I mean, please trust. Yeah, there was no trust issue. I mean, sure, there was the occasional like, okay. I mean, it was at the, at the time the bank account we used was Jason's personal bank account. There was no business bank account. So was there some issues where oh, there's a new TV in the house? It's like oh, you buying TVs with my investment money? What's going on? This that, but in the end there was no trust issue i had i had no issue with trust i jason is somebody who mixes personal and business life quite quite significantly so um which which can be a problem but it's i find people who are just so bullish on what they're going to do they're also willing to mix personal and business when it's very inconvenient to them i have a baby on the way but you know what i gotta be in johannesburg so sorry yeah so um he will literally or i have a baby but i'm having a business call at the same time yeah jason will mix personal and business which is advantageous to the company but sometimes on like you know like oh is the bank account in super big order between personal and business no it wasn't right so over time Iroko grew up and now we have a fantastic governance structure and it's very very clear what is the company's money and what is Jason's money but at the beginning it wasn't like that but like a lot of this people that started mom and pop business just so many it was like a personal journey for Jason to make this a success and he was not going to stop at anything to to make it a success and that's partially backable despite the governance concerns you might have yeah in hindsight probably would have You'll do it again. Uh, would I do it again in in that way? I mean, today I probably have higher expectations or governance on a founder that I invest in than with Jason. But I I knew Jason for six seven years by that time, and we'd been very close friends. So um, governance was not the top of the agenda in terms of worries, right? If you're a foreign investor investing in a Nigerian early stage tech company, you have a governance issue, right? But if you know somebody for seven years, you know, like theoretically, there's more trust than if you don't. So we didn't have that, um, and we just assumed that all the money was going into business. Jason needed pay him something to live but jason even when we raised three million dollars left uh, like him and mary slept in the bq behind the generator for a year three million dollars in the bank yeah so it wasn't like oh there was some lavish individual like who's spending a lot today that, that might be different <laughs> the image jason is creating is different but back then that wasn't the case yeah he was used to sleeping on the floor hundred percent no food <laughs> no electricity no warm water no windows <laughs> like whatever you might imagine so i, I don't know yeah. At what point did you go all in and move to Nigeria and join? This was uh, April 2012. What, what um, was the trigger? What was the trigger? I had a fantastic year, 2011. I made a lot of money and... um. I was paid my bonus and I was like, you know what? I've looked at these like six or I had eight screens, actually eight screens for the last six years. My life was pretty black and white. Um, and I had that entrepreneurial itch, right? That I had when Jason and I lived together and after university, I didn't pursue it. And now I was a 50% shareholder in this company and we just raised $3 million from Tiger Global. Oh, you, you've raised money right there? Yeah, we'd raised money, $3 million from Tiger Global. Okay, let's uh, put a bit, mm, let's talk about that. Mm, and mm. Where about, how did that story go? you are a 50% shareholder you're not like the normal mm. co-founder mm. that a lot mm. of VCs will see mm. you still have a full-time job mm. you are investor mm. co-founder mm. how did you how are you able to articulate that the VCs and mm. trust your business I'm talking yeah. about you now you and Jason I, with so three million dollars it was, it was very bizarre right like we never seeked that money we were making money off YouTube oh, like you were already a profitable business yeah like we, we were making what like five six hundred thousand dollars a year off YouTube 
about $50,000 run rate. Um, we so you bought were a lot of licenses. Yeah, we bought a lot of licenses. We, literally, we spent, we made $50,000 a month from YouTube and we spent $50,000 a month on buying licenses. Like that's literally how that business was built. And the more money we were making off YouTube, the more licenses we're building, uh, we're buying, and it was just getting a bigger and bigger library. And that's that's how the business was originally was built. It was via adverts. Via yeah, it's via so YouTube. Yeah. So it was literally, we went to Alaba, mm-hmm. went to the guys and said, hey, I want to buy a thousand movies, uh, like or whatever you got, you know, your whole 1990 through 2010 catalog. Like, what do you have? Or 50 movies? Okay, I pay you $100 per movie. Okay, no no problem. Yeah, like- Is that uh, a license? What do you mean? When you, so yeah. when you could just go yeah. and buy the, the stuff from Alaba, yeah. Yeah. who gives you the license? Is it the, the Alaba guy or the producer? The producer. So the, the producers were mostly based out of Alaba because, because they're, they're the marketers the, as well. They're the marketers. They own the distribution rights to these movies and that's how they used to make money and they completely mispriced the internet. I mean, 2010, there was no online video streaming in Nigeria. It was conceptually not there. There was no, I mean, people had Blackberries and Nokia phones and, and whatever, right? Like, so they had no concept that you might make money from this and they had no value for their back catalog, full stop. Like once the, the CD was out the market, pirated 10 times, like this movie was dead. Here's some like Oyimbo guys coming, yeah, and paying them money for movies that they had written off as assets in their catalog. And we did that and we said, hey, you know what? 50 movies, what am I going to give you? Oh, uh, you know, $5,000, $6,000, you know, it was big chunks, but for 50 movies, $5,000, $6,000, that's not a lot of money, yeah. But for him, it was like, oh, $5,000, well, I take that. Yeah, so um, that was the initial business model of Eurocoin. and it worked really well. We're making we're making money, and then um, we got an email from this fund out of New York called Tiger Global, a guy called Nazar, and he said, "Hey, love what you guys are doing." I'm going to be in Nigeria on the, on the 12th of June. Um, this was 2011. And let's have a chat. And we write back like, dude, you don't even have a website. Who are you? Yeah, like, <laughs> you, you, you know what I mean? This was, at the time, Tiger Global didn't have a website, but they were still making, they're already making shitloads of money. I think they're like about $5 billion under management, but we couldn't find anything on there. So uh, he was like, yeah, happy to arrange a call. So he arranged a call and told us about who they are and said, I'm going to be in Nigeria on the 12th of June. So I said, okay, let me take some days off. I took some days off work flew to Nigeria and we were based in Festac at the time and then this American guy in a suit showed up at, at, at the airport and we took him into our car and we, got, we <laughs> get stopped by the police you know it was a wonderful first experience for him in Nigeria uh, but he came into this house where Jason was living behind the generator and there was no windows and no running water but we had like 15 people uploading movies and we had a, like a three hour chat and by the evening he said look guys I'm going to write you a time sheet and oh, he got convinced okay, okay, I think maybe he's already convinced before I flew over anyway but he just wanted to validate his assumptions he had a thesis he had a thesis which was video globally and he wanted to invest that was and the thesis that was the thesis they had invested in, in Brazil into a company uh, called Net Movies and um, in China they had made a lot of money uh, out of video and they were like okay Africa same thing um, it was kind of a flawed thesis but anyways that was his thesis and he came and then he saw two guys and they were making money in Nigeria they had traction they seemed educated enough yes one of the founders was more of the angel investor rather than operator the other one was operating in the end he said like why don't you join and I said look I, I, I'm in London I'm, I'm trading oil like I'm having a fantastic time like let me think about it but in the end they didn't probe further on that 
so super aggressive. So they didn't. They did not. They have this thesis that, and your business fits into that. Yes, that's it. So they had the thesis. They believed in Jason. They saw me as an angel investor. And if I operationally joined, great. Yeah, uh, I obviously was a very active angel investor. I, I had weekly calls with Jason in, in this business. Um, and they didn't mind that I was not full-time on the business. So, and so they were not concerned that there would be this dilution later on. The founder is giving that before CC. And Tiger is an unbelievable, aggressive, big-thinking investor. That they didn't come with a liquidity preference. They didn't come with, with any of your, maybe what is today's standard VC concerns. They were more like, I believe in the market. I believe in the founder. I can sort out everything in the future. And that was sort of their methodology. They've done amazingly well for it, right? They really go into emerging markets. They close their eyes and they, and they put money down. And in China, that worked. I think in India, that largely worked. I don't know what they're doing on Flipkart. Um, but that was sort of their style and, and unusual, yeah, but incredibly successful. Um, they sort of didn't believe in liquidity preferences because they sort of said, look, either this business is something or it's not. And, it, it, you know, like whatever liquidity preference or not, that's not going to make the change. I.e. if $50 million goes in, then this must be a billion dollar company for me to actually make any money anyways. And whether I take 50 back out first or not, it doesn't really matter to my math. Yeah. And the other thing that they had, so in terms of math, they say like, it doesn't really make sense. I don't know if they're correct in that thesis. The other thing was they're, they're incredibly founder friendly. They buy ordinary shares. They say we're all in the same boat. Let's let's all work towards shareholder value together. Like we expect from you complete, you know, honesty towards creating shareholder value. We'll do the same. And that's an, that's sort of an honest, fair approach. Yeah, like we respected that. And as an investor, I, I'd say they're pretty good, right? They didn't put much in in terms of time or effort or, you know, support. But they gave something very tangible. They gave money and they gave it on good terms. And we couldn't complain about that. They largely left us to our own devices to figure out the future. And they were not and looking for investors. No, they're leaders. Tiger doesn't... doesn't so they went uh, all in with the trade. All in. Just yeah, that. Yeah, we had a, like a, we had an alternative. You know, when you're an entrepreneur, you, you find another bid, especially when you have one. Tiger came in, gave us a bid, like, we had like another bid from something called Quantum Fund. Did it was, you approach them or they approached us? No, they well? approached us too. How did these it, people know? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Jason had done some some articles in TechCrunch with Sarah Lacey. Um, she'd come to Nigeria, was interested in the Nollywood thing. And I think that's how they initially found out about us. And we were really lucky that these Quantum Fund people... Oh. So media works. Yeah, 100%. I mean, oh my testament God. To that yeah. as well. I run meals. Uh, and then if, if there's anything that uh, Jason was very, very good at was to push the PR story as far and broad as he could uh, together with a lady called Jessica Wimbert. And um, she essentially uh, was one of our editors in the magazine in Manchester. So she had a knack for stories and, and for PR and they sort of hashed out this formula to make this name the biggest name in African entertainment and they pushed it. I know and Jessica, yeah, yeah. I met her in London and she talks about that. So oh, she's worked with Jason for a long, long, long time. So... That's it, right? So PR, I would argue, is a huge benefit. People often think that you're way bigger than you actually are, uh, which opens a lot of doors. So I, I would highly recommend people investing in their public image um, to the outside. Obviously, it depends a bit on the, the business you're in, but 
for us as a consumer facing business brand was everything what well, was very very important um yeah so in 2011 june these guys showed up same evening they wrote us a term sheet we had like a five minute call where we negotiated the valuation a little bit um and and all of a sudden the, the company was valued at i think 12 million dollars post money so from from no, nothing. from nothing we never had an investor nothing we just had my investment and jason's investment um or essentially my investment i sort of like uh, we were sitting in this house with no windows somewhere in Festac, Nigeria. And, you know, I'm, I'm not from Nigeria, so it was all a bit surreal. Like, I called my dad and say, look, I'm sitting in the jungle and, you know, I'm just worth like $6 million. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> like, I mean, obviously you got diluted or whatever, but I, I don't know what the exact figure was at the time. But, uh, and my dad is like, what? Like, this is, this is, it was very random. Yeah, like it was, and, and Jason, I didn't really understand the venture capital game. I'm like, so we were like, whoa, what just happened? And these Americans gave us so much money and it was fascinating, right? So subsequently, um, we went through due diligence and they hired McKinsey to do a study on Nollywood, which is entirely wrong. But um, anyways, like it helped them support their investment. And uh, what, what is wrong about that study? No, it, it sort of made estimates around the size of the Nollywood market and who watches Nollywood in South Africa and Kenya and how much money is made from how many producers, how is the cinema value chain but it was all you could tell that like they had hired a couple of consultants that asked a couple of questions and then made a lot of theories about how this market operated did they um, miss it in terms of the size that they didn't get the full size of all the opportunities is it that they, they underestimated the size of the market so uh, i'm trying to remember what what the what the core elements they were flawed in their thesis i think they overestimated the overall value of the industry uh, significantly which went into our favor so that's yeah. fine yeah um i think that was probably the, the major flaw in, in the underlying thesis like oh, they probably with that anyway <laughs> no they probably argued that every single um pirated dvd that was played uh, on the content was money that was going to flow back to the producers of these movies and it just didn't happen so because piracy literally shrunk that industry in, into something much smaller than what they thought it would be but in terms of impact they were correct right piracy has done nollywood a humongous favor in making it popular across africa it was so cheap and so in demand, and there was no copyright concerns anywhere, that across anywhere in sub-Saharan Africa, uh, the Nollywood stars are recognized because people watch the movies. So it's, it's done a huge favor to the industry in terms of making it very, very popular across the continent. So they wrote this, this, this check, and they, they had this research to justify mm. their thesis. Yes. Mm. Of course, they wanted to do it anyway. And where I put a pin was what when you moved. So mm -hmm. it's a combination of two things. Yeah. This business is become, mm -hmm. and two, you had a very good year, 2011. So you can, even if everything goes, mm -hmm. goes to, to, the, to the flame, you still have some money that you can leave on. I, was that I, a trigger for you? I had a good year. We had some investment, but the primary driver of this entire thing was that I wanted to try and be an entrepreneur. So I had that and I wanted to do it after university, but I did. And so I had this like underlying desire to give that a shot. And I looked at screens for six years and I thought, you know what, there's more to life than just looking at screens and making black and white decisions about money. Let me try something new. So, um... I I left in, in April and I think like two days later I was in Nigeria, you know, and, and it wasn't, I mean, the trading floor was black and white, you know, <laughs> Nigeria is not black and white. It's like 3D, you know, in comparison to the trading floor. And there are many floor. shades of gray. Many shades of gray. The contract is not worth the paper it's written on, right? It, it smells different, you know, like everything about Nigeria was different. So 
I really had to get outside of my comfort zone as a person uh, doing business in, in Nigeria because I was used to dealing with geeky guys in London, talking numbers all day long. And here I was in an entirely different culture trying to do business with the guys in Alaba, with the musicians. Oh, we had some terrible experiences with the musicians in Nigeria. <laughs> so it was a huge step. What was um, your role? When you what was my role? I mostly looked after finances and technology at Iroko for, for the longest time uh, and sort of some of the other operational elements, uh, HR, legal and stuff like that. Was that a time you started mm. putting some gov structure a two-man business mm. now becoming... No, this was way later. I think Kinevik, one of our Swedish investors, started driving governance. Yeah. So Tiger mm. didn't even look at your governance? No, no, Tiger just, never. They just really I, check yeah. and then, hey, yeah. bye-bye, let's see. Oh, we need more money, guys okay how much okay yeah it was literally they didn't did check. they write yeah. everything three million put in your bank account or yeah. it was tranche no three million straight in the bank account wire transfer like uh, there was no conditions one day yeah. you had like ten thousand dollars and the next day you had three million dollars absolutely yeah yes a yeah. quirky question what yeah. stops you guys from saying hey you and i 1.5 let's just go away to chile <laughs> No, it's like, I, I don't know. That was not the ambition. Like, I understand I, that. Yeah, I don't know, it's fine. Like, uh, why, why? You know, and people get burned doing business in Nigeria yes. um, a lot. Um, venture capital is sort of proof against that by the fact that you're backing individuals who want to build a hundred million dollar companies or two hundred million dollars company or a billion dollar company and if they don't convince you that that's what they're in for you don't give them money so unless you get tricked at that stage you know with oh I want to build a hundred million dollar company yeah but the investors are not stupid right so everything is stacked towards the the hundred million dollar exit so they can see and through you, what you're trying to build yes let's do this anyway without our money they would die trying and our money would just boost which is a good lesson for a yeah. lot of entrepreneurs that I meet that say oh I've got this idea and the only thing stopping me is because I needed money I said mm -hmm. hey you've not even proven that you want to you've done, done, done anything mm -hmm. you need to actually validate your idea uh, money should, should not be the goal will stop you need money but you need to prove this is something that's the market come up with an MVP sure yeah. you did that with your mm -hmm. own and then the money that came to you to boost you 100%, in a better way yeah. so let's talk about how that money changed the business model or allowed to do bigger things mm. uh, at what point did you start this netflix kind of so they said to us look we don't usually invest in businesses that don't have their own website because we're a distribution business right we bought movies on the lava and we put it onto youtube we didn't have our own channel and then they said look you need to develop your own channel and that money was mostly used to do two things one to buy more licenses i wanted to own as much content as possible and two to build our own platform so we started building a website and slowly trying to transition consumption away from youtube onto our website which was erocotv.com and we built firstly it was free it was the same as youtube it was just on our site and we were making more money from people consuming the content on our site than on youtube how was it hard based as well it was ad based um we had our own uh, our own ad servers we could put plenty of display ads i mean iroko tv back then was not a pretty site yeah it was quite an aggressively monetized sort of like advert based site and that allowed us to do more than youtube was more interested in you know usability and they didn't want to put too many ads onto a side and we just like plunked it full of ads right and <laughs> And that kind of worked. But in the long run, we realized that we're going to lose this thing, this free-based 
Nollywood distribution uh, versus YouTube. We're not going to be able to match technology. We're not going to be able to match the ad sales that YouTube has. And we needed to go up market and make it a premium product. So um, Tiger's money was mostly to get the foot on the door on our own distribution channel, our own website. We started with a free model. Then we started with a freemium model, a part advertisement, part paid for the premium movie. And then we move fully premium. So that's sort of the, the journey of the Eurocode TV product. That's yeah. a very good transition because you didn't start, oh, let's, let's, let's copy them. Mm. You adapted your business stage of, mm. and you understand the market and product evolved rather, right? So you could have, because you ended up becoming like, mm-hmm. but, and I know Netflix exists at the same time. So you know that mm-hmm. you didn't track that model. I don't know if we were that smart. Or, yeah, I know. You just, know like, retrospectively, maybe it worked. Yes. I, I, I don't know. Like, we were not that smart, right? We started on YouTube and said, well, let's copy YouTube onto our own site. Then we realized we couldn't beat YouTube. So what do we do now? Like, we need to go up market and charge for it. So I guess the we looked at the market in our place within it and realized that the only place for us was as a premium content distributor and slowly moved into that direction. But we made had many iterations in between and yeah. it wasn't like from the beginning oh you know what we're gonna be free first in order to gather the traffic onto our website and then we're gonna convert them into paying and that's gonna be a fantastic sort of funnel which in the end it turned out to be um it kind of happened step by step and haphazardly and that's fair because uh, most of us just do that what iteration do. yeah but uh, so the, one of the purpose of this conversation mm. is to draw lessons on what sure. you've done and then some people can adapt that to say okay mm. you this is how you move because mm. i see a lot of i mean entrepreneurs are mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. being yeah, ambitious yeah. everything mm-hmm. and sometimes it's very okay to look at people like you that have done something smaller steps mm-hmm. go back almost reverse it down mm-hmm. and do it less mm-hmm. so let's go back to you. when you move to like looking at finance technology and maybe some jobs and what are your biggest challenge at that point business mm-hmm. and then how did you overcome those challenges for you personally yeah. um, and coming from you are German mm. you, you grew up in Germany Berlin, yes. Berlin mm. and then you lived in England which is not yes. too far culturally yeah, yeah. Nigeria, running yeah. a business yeah. and people dealing a lot of producers yeah, and yeah. all the stuff what are your biggest challenges personally and business? So personally, I mean, moving to Nigeria was a huge step. Like um, I knew Jason and that that was sort of it. And um, I was in this new culture and I mean, it was fascinating. I'd lived in other countries before, but nothing as different as Nigeria. And the main challenges were around things like food. You know, it's very difficult to find European food in Nigeria. So I struggled with that. Climate was a huge issue, right? The heat in Nigeria is, is extremely exhausting. Um, to date in Nigeria, I was just a single man. It was a challenge yeah <laughs> like what do you do on that front um it's kind of funny the dating market in nigeria is a white guy you don't really fit into the general white guy in nigeria mix right you have like the 50 year old kpmg accountant who gets an extra ten thousand dollars for living in nigeria and he takes it but he's in a dead-end career right and or, or the oil construction worker or something and he's like you know somebody reasonably successful young white in nigeria and um it, you are nobody could place of- me yeah nobody yeah. could really place me into a category right on the street or whatever right it's not like that so um where were you living i lived in festac at the beginning and then i lived in anthony village and uh, then i moved uh, to vi so i lived in 1004 for a long time 1004 estate and um yeah maybe last on the personal dating market concept right so the app market you know a foreign educated nigerian woman in in nigeria they would not date a white guy it's 
they just wouldn't do it. The family wouldn't allow it. They, they think it's not okay. So subsequently, they, there was, you know, you're completely on your own, right? Or, or you, you, you date in a, in a market where, you know, if your passport, your money might be more interesting than you as a person. Yeah, so it like, that was a challenge. Yeah, like, I, I, I thought it was really quite interesting. So these are the personal challenges. In terms of, um, I found a wonderful person in Lagos. So um, it worked out in There is no single pathway to entrepreneurial success. Most of the entrepreneurs I've interviewed on this podcast have gone through unique ways to reach their goals, but there are similar milestones along the journey. There are common questions every entrepreneur should address as they build their business. How do I find an idea I should pursue? How do I validate the idea? How do I build the product? How do I launch it? How do I find and reach customers? How do I grow revenue and scale? How do I build community? around my product? How do I build a team that we execute? How do I raise money? These are the fundamental questions every entrepreneur should be asking. The Hustle Bootcamp program will help you tackle these questions. The Hustle Bootcamp is an intensive five-week online program for high-performing individuals who want to build profitable, scalable, and fundable business in Africa. This is not your average online course. It is a coaching program. Everything in the course is designed designed towards enabling you to launch your new business or innovate an existing one. We are prioritizing transformation over information. There are five models in the program and they will be delivered over video along with worksheets, action plans, and step-by-step guides. But more importantly, every week during the program, I'll be hosting live office hours Q&A where we'll be breaking down key aspects of the course. And I'll have some of the guests from this podcast in the live Q&A. If you really want to build scale or get funding for your own business this is the program for you registration is now open and we'll be closing it very soon we have very limited seats go to the bootcamp.com that is t-h-e-h-u-s-t-l-e bootcamp.com the bootcamp.com and register now Building the Future Podcast Season 3 is brought to you in partnership with Flutterwave. Flutterwave's business is about connecting global businesses to Africa and building new businesses out of Africa through payment and technology. All opinions expressed by me and the podcast guests are solely ours and does not reflect the opinion of Flutterwave. To get started, go to flutterwave.com. You've been listening to Building the Future podcast by Dalton. These are the interviews with entrepreneurs that are playing a key part in shaping the African future. And you'll be able to hear all their stories. For more, sign up for the weekly newsletter at thestarter.com. Our revolution will be televised. Hey everyone, thanks so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed the show. Before you go, I have a favor to ask you, and it will take 30 seconds of your time or less. It will mean a lot to me. If you like this podcast, you can easily let me know by going into iTunes, Teacher, SoundCloud, or wherever you download podcasts and subscribe. You can also go to our website, thestarter.com. That is T H E S T A R T A.com and sign up for our newsletter. It will be a huge favor to me and it's really simple and easy. If you subscribe now, it will help us a lot. Thanks.